Pastor Dana and her team do such an awesome job uh, with our online campus and online service. If you're in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, today's message in the series, Walk This Way, which is a series about discipleship. And without discipleship, we're only one generation away from losing faith. Your family is one generation from being a non-Christian family. Somebody's got to pass the faith on to the children and to the grandchildren and so forth. Our nation is one generation from losing whatever Christian heritage we have left. We're one generation away. In your own life, the decisions we make either pass the faith on to another or makes coming to faith more difficult for another. And most discipleship happens in not the church, but in the family. Amen. And we're going to talk about that today. Now, if you, are, uh, if you don't have children, this message is still for you. It's not like, oh, we're going to be talking about parenting. We are. But the principles of parenting apply to everybody. So if you're single... Or maybe you have adopted children, you're a foster parent, you're a single parent. I want to acknowledge there's lots of single parents. You're a grandparent, uh, you're a future parent, or you're hoping to be a parent. Everybody is involved in today's message. I'm often asked, Dan, as you're now in your 60s, what, what's the, the, the vision you have for your life? And I want to answer that. As in, with, without any hyperbole whatsoever. I feel like the stage I'm at in my life, my, my primary job, if you will, is to see that my grandchildren are saved. Now, if you're not a grandparent, this, that didn't probably hit you. If you are a grandparent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I have nine, nine grandchildren from the age of 12 down to Five months, yeah, down there somewhere, and um, the their their parents are awesome parents. They're Christian parents. They they're raising these children, fantastic, fantastic is fantastically a word. They're raising the church fantastically, whatever. They're doing a great job. However, I know that my role is in there somewhere. My wife and my to see that our children come to a an authentic relationship with Christ. And if your children are not serving the Lord today, do not relent in your prayer for them. The stakes aren't, this is not the goal of your life, to make nice children. That's a byproduct. The goal of parenting is to produce followers of Christ. Nice children can still be separated from God. So as grandparents, our role isn't just to be, you know, Santa Claus and Mother Bear or whatever. It's, it's, we have a role to help our children come to faith. The stakes could not be higher. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, is the first 
verses in the Bible that Jewish children memorize. It's called the Shema or Shema. And that's the Hebrew word for the word listen. It is the most prayed prayer in Judaism, the Shema. And it's prayed twice a day in observant Jewish homes, morning and night. It comes from right here. Jesus prayed this prayer. And when we read it together here in a moment, you're going to see some of the stuff that's in these four verses are in the Gospels in Jesus' own words. Why? Because he knew this verse. He had memorized this verse and he shared the verse with others. It says this, verse 4, chapter 6, verse 4. Here, that's where the Shema is the word here. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's not talking just about monotheism. It's saying he's the only true God. He's the, he's the one God. He's our God. Verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Have you ever heard that before? Jesus shared this. Jesus said that was the first commandment, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's, that is a version of the Shema. Then it goes on to say, and these words, in other words, the words of Scripture, the story of the deliverance out of Egypt, the commandments, the history of salvation, all those words he says, I command you today, should be on, first of all, your heart. Adults, this should be on your heart. The word of God on your heart. Then he says, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. The word teach them diligently is the word in Hebrew that means inscribe. Like if you do inscribe and boss your name on a Bible or etch your name in a stone. That's this word. In other words, you are to take the word of God and you're to carve the word into the heart of your child. Inscribe it. It takes time and effort. And you shall talk of them. This, this is the word, the words of God. That's the then, the words of God. Diligently, excuse me, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. In other words, there should be an organic, natural relationship with Yahweh where you are talking to your children from morning to night, where appropriate, about, about God's word. This is natural. Verse 8, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Those are called phylacteries. And if you see an observant Jew, they've got a little leather box strapped to their head right here. It's about an inch by an inch by an inch. Sticks way out like this. And they'll tie one exactly that same box on their wrist or on their palm on the back of their hand with leather straps. And inside those little boxes are, are little bits of scripture. It's like an amulet, little bits of scripture. And this, these verses, these five verses are in that little box. So they are literally binding them to their forehead and to their hand, literally. Now we know it's, we, in the New Testament that's figuratively for us. In other words, the word of God should be on our mind and in our actions. And it says, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That's a mezuzah. That's those little 
things about this big. They're generally at an angle, kind of like a pencil holder-like thing, and they put scriptures in them. And in a Jewish home, every room has a mezuzah, or the front door will have a mezuzah. When we purchased the Jewish school in Kemsville, that was our first campus, we remodeled it, and it became... Um, our church home until we bought and, and moved into Deep Creek here as well. Uh, every room had a mezuzah. There was a Jewish school. These are Jewish kids, and every room had a mezuzah to follow the scripture. Now, we don't do mezuzahs today, but what this verse means, I think it's kind of obvious, is that when we're raising our families, the word of God needs to be in our home in our mind, what we do. And we are to diligently, as parents, carve it into the hearts of our children. Say amen to that. Newsflash, your kids are yours. Your children are not the church's children. They're not the school's children. They're not the state's children. They're not social services children, unless you're a bad parent and have hurt your child, then social service has a very important role. They're your kids. And if they're your kids, take courage today that you are the best parent, assuming you'll try. You are the best parent your child can have. And I say, man, I wish I could be more like that guy and more like that woman. And No, you are the very best parent your kid can have, assuming that you're trying to parent them well. So we should be confident today that if there are children and we're the best they can have, that God is going to help us. Can I hear an amen to that? There's no more important role for us than that. Now, as a parent, sometimes we can have unrealistic expectations and you can sense, you have a sense of failure. Like you think if you raise your child right, they'll never make a wrong choice. Come talk to Wayne Melvin and I after church. We will set you straight on that. No, kids are going to make bad choices. Hey, your child's a sinner. Say amen to that. Come on. You're a sinner. Your spouse is a sinner. Grandma's a sinner. Grandpa's a sinner. The best Christian still has some sin in them. And sinners, what do sinners do? Sin. So you can get your child to, to conform and obey up into a certain age. Get the little bow tie, the little church suit, and they, you can march them into church and they sit so nice until they're about eight, <laughs> nine, ten, and so Then they got to adopt the faith themselves. And you think, what the heck did I do? Where does this come from? Darling, they're just growing up. They got to adopt their faith for themselves. You see, raising children is not about moralism. Moralism is this. When you're good, you're loved. Moralism is work on yourself to make yourself a nicer person. That's moralism. It's a form of legalism. A gospel-centered home is this. Of course, we're attempting to do right, but we are loved in spite of our failures. There's always a grace in our home. There's a mercy in our home. 
It's a gospel-centered home that needs Jesus. If your home doesn't need Jesus, back the train up. How many would say today, you need Jesus in your home? Me too, man. You leave it to yourself, it's going to not end well. Parents, I think that we're a guide more than a general. We guide our kids, particularly as they get older. We don't say my way or the highway. We don't force a view on them. They're free moral agents. They will eventually choose whether they will follow the Lord or not. Now, the Lord gives us many good promises about raising children. We're going to look at a few of them with the balance of my time today. When Rhonda and I got married, we were young, and we had a baby a little over a year after we were married. She was just 20, and I was 22, 23 when we had the baby, Matthew. We had come out of revival. We met during revival, and uh, we were serving the Lord with all of our heart, excited about the things of God. And uh, we had considerable amount of idealism going into parenting. And a subtle judgment, maybe, that other parents weren't doing it like us. And if a family had a wayward child, we wouldn't say it, but we would think it. Like, they didn't parent like we're parenting. We would not say it. We kind of felt like we were not in that category. I remember the first book I read on parenting was entitled A Vision for Your Children. It was electrifying. It's no longer in print. I can't find it anywhere. But it was talking about your children praying and worshiping and missions. And it was very, very motivating. So we're raising our kids in the faith. And I've always been kind of a natural guy, not a religious guy. And so we were you know, raising the first son and raising the second son. Then we had a daughter and we were cruising along pretty good and and uh, the fruit was there and the kids were happy. I was happy. Marriage is good. And then somewhere along the line, uh, one of our children went off on their own way. I would share more in detail with you, but I know this is going out everywhere. And it, it challenged my wife and I to the core of our being. It's like, hey, we're doing our part. What's the heck going on over there? Well, every child's journey is different, and there was a unique set of personality and character and and natural things and so forth that that uh, my daughter just uh, at about twenty three just went ping. And there was a season where we didn't even know where she was. And our heart broke every night. And I, I, was, I felt shame. I've heard of prodigal son and daughter stories before, but the person comes back like in three months. Mine, mine took 10 years. And there's more pain in that story than this room has enough space to contain. I never experienced pain when an adult child makes wrong choices that hurt everybody. 
But we just kept loving and, hey, parents, you, you don't stop parenting when your kids graduate high school. When they're adults, it's like, what the heck is going on here? You're doing more parenting sometimes when they're adults. Different parenting, different, totally different. I mean, it's more advice and being there and, you know, you give out your cell number, it's over. So because of that journey, and the pastors know this journey, Pastor Melvin knows this journey very well, and I only share that journey because I have permission from her to share it. I don't tell out of school. I had a conversation years ago where she said she didn't know if there was a God. She said, there's so much pain in my life, I just can't believe God exists. Then she started to kind of come back one time, and, but wouldn't go to church. So I gave her the hell sermon in the car. Yeah, what was I thinking? You know, like, I'm a, there's really a hell, honey. You know, you're playing with your life, you know, they're separated from God. Well, Dad, I don't even believe in God. Tough. It, you, there's a hell there. So I do the whole hell talk, like, you know, get scare straight kind of talk. The old fire and brimstone, Jonathan Edwards, stick it to him talk. All that did is drive her farther away from God and farther away from me. And when we got all done, she just blew me off. She was in so much pain that the threat of hell didn't even register. Like, what? I'm living in hell, Dad. I'm living in so much hell right now, I didn't believe there's a God, which really hurt me. And I, so I want to say to her, do you know what I do for a living? I make a living telling people about God. It was a pain, man. So I felt so much, uh, I didn't recognize it until years later. I felt so much shame and guilt that I haven't preached on parenting until today. Since I've been about, since I, since, uh, well, it's been uh, over 30 years. I've, not, I've taught on prayer, I've taught on the word of God, I've taught on discipleship, you know, I've taught on all these things, but I haven't taught on parenting. So I had that little nagging disqualification, which, if not understood right, can turn into shame, and that's not right. I came to a place where I was at peace that I did my best. Could have I done better? Of course. But I mean, I, I, Rhonda and I were active parents, and we were not legalistic parents, other than the hell sermon. The hell sermon, I kind of went there. That didn't work. And she chose to do her own thing. Well, the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, and a way that ends in death. And there was all kinds of problems, man. So about... Three years ago, after Rhonda and I prayed every day, I can't tell you all the stuff we did, went through. About three years ago, she turned, started turning a corner. Oh, it was like a battleship, though. It wasn't like, it was really slow. Re-engagement with the family, re-engagement with me. Now we're talking a little bit about God. Now she would allow me to pray for her. 
I mean, for 20 years, I couldn't even pray for her. I was just ticked off about with God. I, I did appreciate the authenticity. Millennials are pretty authentic. They're not going to fake they love God. They either love God or they don't. So anyway, we go, you know, the battleship turned and turned and turned. And, and then she began to pray. And guess what? Last week, right here, my daughter came to church for the first time in about seven years. Right back over here. I wanted to say, I wanted to prophesy in my sermon. There's a young white woman here, says the Lord. And you came today. And the altar, more piano, please, more piano. The altar is open. Nah, I, I just, you know, she sat with some friends of ours and, and she's going to church today. And uh, I got permission to share all that. One thing about my girl is that in some ways she's holier than me. There's no pretense. She never pretends. And I think in the long run that will serve her well. So last thing I'll say about this, if you're a single guy about 35, <laughs> I need a little bit of money. You have to have some money. I want no criminal record. All right now. And uh, you can't have a boatload of children. Maybe one or two, but that's it. See me afterwards. <laughs> How do we parent these kids? I want to give you five principles, and this will be the bulk of the remainder. What is the remainder of our message? How do you how do you parent these kids? Five things. Number one, we need a model. How a parent personally lives out their faith is the single most important influence on a child's faith. That's it. Not Christian school, parents. Walk, not parents preaching to their kids. Parents just living out their faith in front of their children. It's more important than youth group, although I'm a big advocate of youth group. That's it. More important than Christian TV and Christian music and all the rest of it, it's, it's mother and dad's faith. So my question, I ask myself, am I living out a faith that's attractional? Do I live out a faith in front of my children that shows that God's real in my life? Or am I religious or just silent about God? Like he's the invisible being we never talk about. I don't think so. Probably the single most important act within this one on the modeling is particularly dads, particularly dads. And I know lots of families are headed by a single parent, the vast majority of time a single female, and God fully equips her to do the job that needs to be done, no doubt about it. But God's design is a two-parent family where the father does take an initiative in spiritual things, and not just the wife, but the dad. And the one area that a dad can take initiative is taking the family to church. 
we, we go to church. What does that say? Our faith is important. Once a week we focus on the resurrection. This is what Christians do. Because not going to church or maybe joining church online, or so, not doing that over time, over time, no faith can be sustained. I don't care what, I, what, what, what you listen to, uh, you know, what, what do you call those things you listen to? Yeah, I don't care what podcast you listen to. The church is uniquely designed, and I'm not going to talk about the local church. There are good local churches and not so good. I get that. But in a normal situation, dad taking kids and wife and teenagers to church and then him going to church when the kids are out of the house, that is normative. And that's modeling to our family, not a religious spirit, not cultural Christianity, but a hunger for the presence of God. Now, if a dad says to the wife, you take the kids. Go ahead, honey. Take the kids. I'm going to, you know, I work hard. I need the time alone. I get it. In the long run, your sons aren't going to church. Maybe your daughters will go, but your sons see what, they see what's important to dad. If working on the car in a Bud Light on a Sunday is what's important to you, they'll go to church till they're about 12. And then they're going to say, I want to stay home with dad. Or they might say, I want to be with my friends, or I'm not going. Then you're going to have a mother try to bribe their kids to go to church or threaten their kids to go to church. Well, that doesn't work. Model it. What do you want your, how do you, think of it this way. Is your faith that you're experiencing this morning, or when you're watching here, is that the kind of faith you want your son or daughter to experience? Well, I think most of us say we want them to have, have a deeper, more vibrant faith than we have. We want, you know, want them to go up a level, right? Well, to go up a level is that we have to model certain things for them to go up a level. And can I say this? There needs to be more laughter in a home than chewing people out. Dads, if you have a daughter who gets pregnant when she's not married, if we have modeled mercy, compassion, interest, kindness, grace, you'll be the first person she wants to tell. Not the school counselor. Not the youth pastor. Not a girlfriend. She wants to come to dad. Why? So dad's going to scold her? No. There'll be a time to talk about decisions later. But the dad that just sticks out his arms and puts it around his daughter and knows that right there she needs to be unconditionally loved, not chewed out. That's really true. In that teachable moment, your response to her in that case does more for her faith than anything else. We're modeling it. We're modeling grace. For a little child, dads, you are God with skin on. Number two. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Number two is plan. Modeling is critical. Planning is also critical. Intentionally creating family time to talk about spiritual things. Yeah. 
family devotions, family worship, Bible story time. I know these things are hard to fight for, and you don't want to be uber-religious, but you do need to plan some things for the family. And don't underestimate your children's ability to memorize and reward their memorizing. Set aside times in our homes for intentional stuff with God. I know this is simple. I know this is simple. For us, um, when we were raised, we would often, uh, a, a big thing for us was when we put the kids down to bed. And Rhonda and I would both pray for our children. And we would talk about God, and then we would pray for them, and then over time they would pray, and we would hear them pray. And, and that was kind of a little teaching time. That was, our, that was a daily, because our mornings were crazy. We always didn't get the breakfast devotion in. That didn't always fit. And the rest, but we always, everybody has to go to bed. So at nighttime is when we did, right before bed. Now, here's the problem doing it at nighttime. If the kids are really little and you're reading out of the picture Bible, you fall asleep after about the fourth frame of pictures. And you're on the bed, you know, and Joseph was thrown in the well. Then you put your arm around the kid because you don't want him rolling off the bed. And his brothers, let's just meditate on that for just a minute. <laughs> I have done that. I mean, I really have done that. It's like you're so darn tired at the end of the day. It's like you, you hardly have enough zip to do it. But you got to man up, you know, Take some, you know, do what you got to do. But there needs to be a, a daily routine of an encounter with the Bible story, with God, with prayer, or maybe asking a simple question to the child before they go to bed. Did God do anything today in your life? Did you feel God said anything today in your life? It's an intentional way of training. And of course, you know, things like mealtime and all those are other times. I'll move on. Number three is respond. We need to recognize and leverage unplanned Kairos moments. These are the times when something happens that, that if you're listening to the Holy Spirit, he will say this is, this is a teachable moment. And they, they come all the time. You know, let's say that you're frustrated because you missed the new Deep Creek exit over here. Totally hypothetical. Totally hypothetical. And what do you, how do you respond? Like, what the, why did they put, you know, and you can do all of that? That's probably not the best response. You just try to show some patience. It's a teachable moment. They learn about God. Matthew is eight years old. We're on a men, father and son fishing trip. Some of you have heard this before. It was, we're up in the mountains, really a father and son, a camp out. We're at 8,000 feet. We're right at the tree level in the big horns of Wyoming. And I'm, I brought, I drove my pickup up a, up a forest service road with, I'm with like eight other men and our kids, our boys. And we shot, we did bow and arrows and, and hiking and we, did, we, you know, it was all about father, son time. Well, all the little boys went fishing one afternoon, our, our second day there, and there was a creek running by our campsite about, oh, I'd say 20 feet, or maybe more, uh, 25 feet wide, and, and it was moving right along. 
and all the little boys, and these are little boys, seven, eight-year-old, they have the little fly rods, they put a little bait on, and they're all flipping it out there in the creek, right? And, they put, and all the boys caught a fish but my son. And so when the boys are standing around the campfire a little bit later, uh, this is still in the middle of the day, they're standing around the campfire, they're, they're talking like adult men. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm using corn bait. What are you using? Yeah, I don't know, man. I just really, oh, if I had to fight him, I had to fight him. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, the fish I caught, but they're right there in the frying pan. They're by it like that. Well, the fish I caught, unbelievable. And, you know, they're just talking. And every boy had a little fish story because they caught. Like five little boys caught fish. My son doesn't catch a fish. And, and Matthew comes up to me after that, after the, all the boys talking about it. He says, Dad, I think God didn't let me catch a fish because he wanted me, he wanted to teach me to be content. Now, he's getting that from the Bible training at home. You know, we used to sing songs, self-control is learning to control yourself or something like that. And so he knew that stuff. So here's this little boy saying to his dad, I think God's teaching me to be patient or, you know. And, and my heart is the size of Montana now. So I grab his little hands. And I say, we're going to pray to God that you catch a fish. Now, I'm totally nervous because I'm putting God on the spot. I mean, I'm really afraid that I'm going to disappoint my son further. It's a teachable moment. It's a Kairos moment. He's going to learn something about God right now. So in the back of my mind, I'm saying, oh, God, please, I'll do anything. <laughs> Just this one request. So I grab his hands and I prayed something. God, I pray that you would help my son catch a fish. And before I could even finish up the prayer, Matthew grabbed his fishing pole and he put on some, and he threw his, his line out in a puddle, not the creek, a pothole in the road that's about the size, about the size of the top of this thing right here. And I'm not kidding you. And it's only about six inches deep. And it's completely muddy because we've been driving trucks back and forth. Splash, 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 splash. It's only this big. And I'm not, you know, paying that close. But I see my son drop his line in a pothole. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm not exaggerating. If Matthew's here, he might be here. He'll tell you it's true. And I'm thinking to myself, Thirty seconds later, my son caught a fish in a pothole that was bigger than all the other boys' fish. If God can put a coin in the mouth of a fish to pay your taxes, he can put a fish in a muddy hole for a son to learn something about God. If you are evil and know how to give good gifts to your father, how much more will your father... Give a good gift to you. If you ask for a fish, he will not give you a scorpion. So I said, there you go. <laughs> hey, friends, I learned something about God. There's no prayer too small. 
What did it take? A dad who would pray. And God came through. That little story is told all the time in our home when we're facing big prayer requests like my health. And Matthew will say to me, well, Dad, we can believe God. Remember, he gave me a fish in a little muddy hole. If he can do that, Dad, he can make your cancer markers go down. And I go, you're right, son, you're right. It was in that teachable moment. My son learned that God was good. He heard prayer. He was powerful and he was very kind because he had the heart of a little boy in his thoughts. Number four, we need to partner. What do I mean by that? God does not intend for parents to disciple their children alone without help. Hey, I know we tease about it takes a village. I know we tease about that concept sometimes, but it does. Aunties and uncles and grandparents and step-parents and pastors and youth pastors and elders and neighbors, we're all in this thing together. We've got great youth pastors in new life. Somebody's asked me before, Dan, what would make you change churches? Because I'm a big guy on staying put where God plants you. You can't leave a church because you're offended. Nowhere in the Bible does that say it's legit. You have to work through the offense, and then you can leave. But you can't leave offended. Just can't. I mean, that's you're circumventing the whole idea of being committed to a church. But I would, I would leave a church if I had teenagers and there was no youth group. Some of you, well, Dan, I don't think, I'm just talking about me. You might have a different philosophy. Because I think middle school is so important. As they're entering puberty, learning about dating, as they get older, all, those, all that stuff, to have really excellent youth volunteers or youth pastors. Our church is large enough to have staff pastors. And to make sure that our kids are, we're partnering with youth and children's ministries. They don't take our place, but we don't fight them. We work with them. And the youth pastor is really, really important in the life of a child. Our youth pastors, they're, they're, they're right in the middle of kids' stuff. You know, there's, there's, battling their sexuality and sexual identities. They always talk to the youth pastor. <laughs> youth pastors are dealing with stuff I never thought I'd ever have to deal with as a pastor. So partner. Partner with the children's ministry. Don't, okay, this is on discipleship. You just can't dump your kids off. you got to also volunteer to teach. you got to begin the rotation. I mean, you want somebody else to teach your kids. Well, you got to get in the mix. We don't ask you to teach every week. It's like every other month. I don't know what it is here. Is it the rotation every other month? or You could be a substitute. Just teach now and then. That's how you partner. Right this weekend, we have 85 Disciple U students up in Williamsburg on a retreat. That's our mentor discipleship ministry of the church. It's awesome. Number five and our final point to bring this to a close is to pray. We model, 
That's the most important. We plan intentional devotional activities. Then we respond. These are the Kairos moments. You just got to be on your toes and represent God in those moments. Fourth one is to partner. You're not in it alone. Partner. And the last one here is, is to pray. Parents praying with and for their children sets the tone in the home. Praying with and for your children. Let me speak as I close this today. Let me just speak quickly to dads. There's no question, dads, you love your children. You do anything for them. You work a second job. You protect and provide. When it comes to praying for a child, sometimes the mom takes the lead. That's understandable. But there is a role for dads praying. Nothing like the hand of a father laid on the shoulder of a son or daughter. And the dad praying a short prayer. It could be as simple as this. Father, I pray for Elizabeth tonight that she would know your love and Jesus, you'd be ever more real to her. Help her sleep well. Amen. You're praying with your child. There'll come a day as they get older, they'll, they'll pray for you. And what a delight as an adult to have your adult children or high school children pray for you. Children, little kids can pray too, of course, but I'm talking about somebody in our family is going through something big, pregnancy, sickness, going to move, crisis of some kind. And at a family meal, after we're done eating together as an extended family, we put the person in the hot seat and to hear your sons and their wives pray for you it just brings you to tears, not even the words that they're saying, but they're doing it. They're doing the deal. Prayer is part of their life. It's, it's what we do. Now, do we pray all the time? Only when the Steelers are playing. And that's taking more prayer as the season goes on. No, not all the time. Just those, those Kairos moments. I have prayed for my children since they were in the womb. Now, they pray for me. You get a text, Dad, I know you're going to the doctor today. We're praying for you. That's for Dad, that's worth a million dollars. Or have a daughter, you know, Anna's prayed for me, uh, where she, you know, lay hands on me and my sons lay hands or, you know, on each other. Matthew was about five and Jonathan was four and they were in the van. We had a Chrysler minivan and we pulled it in the garage back in South Dakota. I got out of the van real quick and I went into the house as I opened the door. My son opened the sliding door to come out and for some reason, which I have forgotten, he slammed the door and he slammed his hand in the door. And it clicked. So, I mean, it wasn't just like it hit it. it. It clicked, the door closed. So he's in the van, Matthew. He's about five, six Jonathan's in the van. He's like four. And Matthew immediately goes, his mouth is, I don't hear any crying. I don't think it's come out yet. 
My son, Jonathan, who's right beside him in the van, he puts his hand on his shoulder. I can see through the front window as I'm rapidly getting to the van to open the door. He puts his hand on Matthew's shoulder and he begins to pray. I wish he'd opened, I wish he'd opened the door. <laughs> that would have made the story complete. He didn't think about opening the door. But parents, what was his knee-jerk reaction? I'm going to pray. Why? He has seen his dad and his mother pray. If you have a grandmother that's praying for you, that's embedded in your head. When you go by the bedroom of your mother and you stayed out too late and you hear her on her knees calling out to God for you, that is embedded in your brain. When you have a father who will stay up in the night praying for you while you're sick, that does something inside you. So as they grow up, they've been discipled be people of prayer. Father, I pray today for this wonderful congregation and every parent and grandparent, auntie and uncle, step-parent, foster-parent, single-parent, and parents yet to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I hope that you enjoyed our sermon today. I hope that you were inspired and challenged. And maybe you have a question about something that you heard in the message today, or maybe you need prayer. We would love to take the time to pray with you and answer any questions that you might have. All you need to do is simply send us an email to online at newlife.global and we would love to connect with you. Well, be sure to subscribe to our channel. You should see the link right over here somewhere and turn those notifications on. That way you are notified every single time we go live on YouTube. Well, God bless you. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you on the next video. Take care.